welcome into a new edition of the Going Deep Buffalo Podcast on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. I'm your host, as always, Kevin Masseri, here with Kevin Syracuse. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about. As always, this show is brought to you by Sons of Erie, www.sonsoferie.com. Go to their website, check out all their great artwork and apparel. A lot of great options there. As you can see behind me, you can see a really great uh, picture right from Sons of Erie. Check out all their artwork. But boy, do we have a great six and six show for you. Uh, have a lot to discuss on the coaching front, what we've seen from Brady and McDermott, as well as, you know, is there some hope going forward uh, for this team and what they're going to be able to do? We'll go through some scenarios and we'll go through some percentages too later on in the show. But first and foremost, Kevin, how are you doing today? Well, all things considered, I'm doing pretty well because I'm trying to stay optimistic because as we will get to Towards the end of the show, I think there is still one or maybe even two paths for the Bills to make the playoffs for a fourth year in a row. I think there are. And it starts, as we'll break down the show uh, later on, to talk about some of those paths to get to the playoffs and some of the things we've been working on percentages-wise and what the next week's game mean. And we'll maybe even have a great Kansas City Chiefs guest on for next week to discuss what they're doing, how their team's different this year. And we'll get into some of that toward the end of the show. Uh, but first, we have a little bit of this Eagles game to break down. One that was a very interesting game, one where you saw vintage Josh Allen and you saw what he can be able to do in big time games. Uh, Kevin, what was your first impression on what you can, what you got, what you took away from this great performance by Josh Allen? And I mean, Joe Brady's putting on a clinic right now to the fact where I've heard some chatter on making him the head coach. So, what is your original, you know, kind of, opinion three days later of what you saw from Joe Brady and Josh Allen. I just want to correct myself. I said the bills can make the playoffs for the fourth year in a row. It would be the fifth year in a row. They could win the division for the fourth year in a row. So again, stay tuned for that as we will highlight some of those different scenarios later on in the show. But as for right now with this current topic about Joe Brady and Josh Allen, this is a Joe Brady and Josh Allen that we need. If we do in fact want to make the playoffs for a fifth year in a row. Because I think that this offense is officially back. And now it's to the point where I'm almost thinking, should we have fired Ken Dorsey sooner? That's how much Joe Brady has impressed me. And the biggest thing is, Josh is back to being Josh. That was one of the best quarterback performances I've seen in a long time. And I'm not saying that just because I'm a Bills fan. What was the most impressive to you about the performance? What made you think that? Like, why why do you think it was his best performance? What did he do to you that he may have been lacking underneath Ken Dorsey earlier this year? Well, I, I think they're just getting back to doing the basics. And some of these things were so simple that we were highlighting a couple of weeks ago. And it was mind-boggling how Dorsey wasn't able to figure that out. I'm talking about using guys in motion, putting Allen under center, mixing in the run and the pass. QB design runs, getting Josh going early and often because that's what he needs to get juiced up. And then finding ways to use the other playmakers like James Cook, Khalil Shakir, Dalton Kincaid. And we saw Gabe Davis start to come to life again the other night, which was nice to see. We have a big play to talk about, which we will definitely spend some time on. But Gabe Davis had a very solid game. Diggs was Diggs. And you're seeing contributions from guys other than Stefan Diggs. And I think that is what the Bills needed. 
I think what was most impressive for me was the composure Josh Allen was able to keep in that rain. Usually you see a sloppy game, kind of like that win game you saw against New England a few years ago. You see that lack of composure. You see things go wrong offensively, especially. You see maybe a defensive boost. Um, and the Bills had a good defensive game plan in the first half. It was a great defensive game plan. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I think as you see what Josh Allen is able to put on on display, it's just he has that next level that very few quarterbacks have. You've seen Patrick Mahomes have that, obviously. You've seen Lamar Jackson at times have something like that. You've seen, you know, Burrow's always efficient, but I don't know that I've ever seen that next level. You've seen him be good, but it's just that level that Josh Allen can take it to um, is just, uh, it's been astronomical. It's been great to see, and he's been really good in two games. And I think that should be anybody's hope for this season um, is that what you saw? If you saw, I know a lot of people, here's one thing I want to put out about this game. I don't think that everyone's pretty upset by the loss. Uh, I would assume that a lot of people had this preseason as a loss, um, but going into overtime against the past NFC champions and potentially right now, maybe Super Bowl favorites, um, them and the Chiefs are, you know, looking for another Kelsey Bowl part two. Uh, but if you really think about it, they outplayed the, they outplayed the Eagles. They scored, you know, they had 150 more yards. They looked better for the most part outside of a few weird lapses. You had a, a few strange calls that could have affected the game either way. Um, you know, we don't, you know, we don't need to break down the officiating, but it was very subpar. Um, and I think that that's all right to say is that there's some questionable calls across the field that changed the game early on, especially when the Bills are absolutely dominating. It can't go unnoticed that officials are have been have called a poor football game. Uh, through and through and they tried to make up for it a little bit with that with that roughing the passer in overtime but that wasn't nearly enough and it was still late you can't hit the quarterback that late uh, Josh kind of jerks his head back as he always does uh, but it was still a late hit to the quarterback and they had called nothing um, so I, I know that Eagles fans thought that they, they committed zero penalties in the game including that and the false starts apparently uh, they didn't think those should be called either um, so they committed zero penalties in that game uh, but that's just not realistic as there were a plenty of missed calls that affected this game through and through. But if you put those aside for a second and you look at what they were able to do as an offense outside of their first drive where they punted, um, they were very good. And it is great to see what Joe Brady was able to scheme up in this game against, like we said on the pregame show last week, the defense isn't great. Um, that was the hope and why I picked the bills to win because I don't know how you can look at that team right now and think that they're going to put a, a run like they're having here with a lot of ball luck. Um, and, and they're going to look a gauntlet against the Cowboys and Niners, potentially uh, whoever the AFC champ, like it's it just not going to come together for them. In my opinion, I think there's more complete teams in this league um, regardless of their record and hurts uh, uh, getting it done. I mean, he's been good in fourth quarters right now. He's been struck. You cannot struggle like that and think you're going to get bailed out by calls uh, every week, especially against teams that, you know, right now might be better than the Bills. You look at the Cowboys and how they're playing. Uh, you, know, you know, you look at the Chiefs already beat them. Or excuse me, the Chiefs played them really tough and should have beat them outside of an MVS drop. Um, you know, so they've had some good ball luck on a receiver, couple of receiver drops, a couple of penalties. Um, you know, that could very easily be two more losses for them. And it, it could have very well, and I agree with this, it could have very well been 24 to 7 at half um, and very well should have been. Um, the way that they played and how bad the Philly off that like, let's not discount how bad that Philly offense was in the first half. It was poor. Um, and they had, they did 58 yards by Hertz. Like it was, it was, it was bad to the point where they maybe should have been out of that game, especially after they punted on the first series of the third quarter. Uh, but Kevin, let's get into it a little bit more. 
what were your opinions on some of the coaching decisions made by Sean McDermott? Some of the hottest topics around uh, Bill's talk right now is what people think of Sean McDermott. What do you think right now about some of the calls that he has made in this football game specifically? That's a good segue because when you said that it looks like the Bills offense is back and how I'm paraphrasing here, but you were saying how that should be a reason to be optimistic moving forward. You know, we should feel good that we took the defending NFC champs right down to the wire. And as good as I feel, and as much as I agree with you, I'm sick of these moral victories where it's like, oh, well, we played really well, but we couldn't get the job done in the end. I mean, this is the fourth year in a row where the Bills have arguably been playing in the game of the year, and they always come out on the wrong side. You go back to 2020 with the Hale Murray game with Arizona, 2021, 13 seconds, last year with the Vikings game, and then this year with the Eagles game. So looking at it from a glass half full perspective, you could say, well, the Bills are always playing in the game of the year, and they're just so close, and they're doing a lot of good, and the numbers this and the numbers that, that should be pretty favorable moving forward. But looking at it from the other side, a glass half empty, this is becoming a trend. They are losing these big games. They can't close out in the big moments. And Josh Allen is 0-6 in overtime. And I don't think that this is a QB stat. We'll, we'll get into this a little bit more because as you can see from these games, in my opinion, this coaching staff, is holding back Josh Allen and the rest of this team. And that is the biggest reason why they can't get over the hump, whether it's in the regular season or the playoffs. So that's where I'm at with this, where I think this comes down to coaching once again and Sean McDermott failing his team. Now, when you look at it from a perspective of 0-6 in overtime, um, I think that there's like variations of this. I think like, so you have some like, the, the tough one for me is one of those was the Vikings game last year. And I think that uh, there was some issues offensively in that game where they could have gone and won the game similar to the Eagles did after the Vikings kicked the field goal and Josh through that red zone interception being off the same page of gate with Gabe again. Um, so I think that there's some interesting like factors to this OT um, discrepancy here um, that we see with the, with the, with those games specifically, like there's some definitely early on, especially with a Houston game in overtime, you know, you have the Kansas city game. Like there's a lot of games here and they all kind of had their own flow to them. Um, but you know, the offense punted special teams didn't cover. Like that's not any, I don't believe that's a coaching error. Like in that, in that jets game and the OT loss, um, there was plenty of blame to go around, uh, in that specific game. Um, in my opinion, I think there was blame across the board, um, I thought the defense was the one piece that kept them in that game uh, week one. That's how bad offense and special teams played. So I think there's plenty of blame to go around in that OT record. But I do know one thing that's going to change. And I, and I firmly believe that 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 is not going to be a thing where uh, he's going to hold an 0-11 overtime playoff record. Uh, that stuff will start to even out when you have a quarterback of his caliber. Um, and one of the reasons that I believe that is because I'm, I, I believe things progress to the mean or regress to the mean based on what it is. Same reasons. I don't think the Eagles are going to get through the playoffs for having some good ball luck is the same reasons. I think that the bills will progress in something like the overtime stat. So that's why I have hope that the bills will be better in overtime. They took the ball. They did what they needed to do. They drove the field. They looked pretty good doing it. Um, you're giving the ball back to a pretty good offense that started to find some rhythm. 
uh, against obviously defense that had, you know, now played uh, the entire game. Like it's always an advantage offense in overtime, uh, especially when you have a good offense, like it's definite advantage offense overtime. That's the reason I don't just defer it because there's so much advantage and Bill Belichick tried it once and the other team went down and scored. Uh, but there's so much advantage having a fourth down and have the ability to know what you need to do. It's why college teams defer uh, when they start off uh, overtime. Uh, it's similar mindset to where if you can keep them out of the end zone, you gain a ton of benefits to um, to your overtime. And the Eagles were able to do so. They were able to have the Bills kick a field goal, which is a like a punt essentially in a game where you're in the 30s. Um, so we talk about that. Why did they not win the game, Kevin? And you look at one specific play with Gabe Davis um, and Josh Allen. That was Joe Brady call. That was an offensive side of the ball where they could have gone and gotten it done. And we wouldn't have had that defensive drive to be breaking down. Uh, what's your opinion? You know, the, the coin toss has been changing over time. What do you think of that play um, where option route cover zero blitz? Um, what are you thinking in that? And in, in what, how did you digest what should have been a walk-off touchdown? Just another unfortunate scenario where the Bills can't finish in the big moment. And, you know, this isn't a Sean McDermott problem, but it's under the umbrella of Sean McDermott not being able to lead his team to victory. And I definitely want to get into McDermott more. I see we have some comments in here asking about our thoughts on the McDermott situation. So we'll definitely come back to Sean McDermott. But since you brought up the Gabe Davis play, let me try pulling it up so that we all know what we're talking about here. Because when I found this tweet, it it kind of, I don't want to say it changed my mind, but it changes your perspective, I think. I guess your mind and your perspective is the same thing. But the point I'm trying to make is I think we should all see this angle of the play because it's very telling. Absolutely. I think as you look through it and I think the way that Joe Brady broke it down a little bit was, you know, it was on him for not getting them on the same page. And I kind of subscribe to that. Like, I don't know that there's a solution of whose fault it was that they didn't walk off and win the game. I do subscribe to the fact that they should have known if this scenario happens, who's throwing where. I, it, it, look, in theory, it could have been anybody uh, who made the mistake. There is a lot of film precedent that Gabe ran the right route. Um, so I think that that's the tough part with this whole thing is knowing um, that there is a couple ways to look at this. And there, the precedent here is that the corner route is something that is generally feels safer to Josh. Uh, then over the middle, like, um, so it, it, it's very possible that for some reason he thought the leverage there would take him inside, but the way originally the cornerback read that play, it was still a touchdown to the corner, a little bit harder of a throw, but an easy throw for Josh Allen, uh, to make. So, uh, let's get it on, let's get it on here now and, and, and see what we're talking about here. Um, as we can see, he's got to let it go. The play that was missed on the screen. It's all now, out so. pressure. Just turn your head. Yep. There are times you stand. Brady knows. Touch. Oh my gosh. Would have won the game. Now he's over here. Allen thinks he goes into the middle. He's got to let it go. But that's the choice. Okay, yeah. So here it's it is. Like, Gabe, it's all I apologize. Turn your head. I think uh, I was losing the connection a little bit. <laughs> <knows touch laughs> Might be making oh my, my connection. 
but won the game. Shouldn't go a little haywire. Here's the option route. And Gabe had the option to either break outside towards the pylon or break back in. So now that we see it here, Kevin, what are your thoughts? I want to hear your thoughts first before I get my perspective. I think from me and my perspective is you would like to see that play be better in terms of the communication level. Um, I, my original thought was like Tony Romo said, just turn your head and you, it wasn't that far away to where he probably can make an adjustment uh, because a cornerback was nowhere to be. I mean, they, they were whatever reason that got him. He was roasted. Like he really didn't have a play. He didn't have a play to make. There was no safety. There was no downfall. Uh, so I think that you're, you're looking for Gabe to turn his head. I think uh, was his error, but I do think the play is to the corner. I've watched it a couple times now. It's just still a very easy throw for Josh. Um, even if he misses it a little bit, he's wide open. Uh, you would hope Gabe would make an adjustment. Uh, there, there, there's no reason to not do it, but to get, but Josh said, I'm going to take the sure layup and put the ball a little bit inward, uh, more for an in-breaking option route, uh, more toward the post, because there's no safety, there's no negative. Um, it's an easy catch. Um, and I think Josh took the easier route, which is good, but unfortunately, um, the corner route almost always gets completed with these two. They're really good at it. Uh, and I think that that's for me, I would have liked to see the communication better, but it's what you're looking for a play on the line. You made the right play call for a zero blitz. Um, that wasn't the issue. It's just a simple situation to where. When they're up 21 to three, next time they play somebody and that play comes, they'll probably complete it, Kevin. Yeah, and that's that's a tough part because you know, I see from your perspective, and as other people pointed out on Twitter, it was Darius Slay who was in coverage. Now his leverage was angled towards the pylon. So that means okay, Gabe's gonna break that way because he has a step on him. Now, if they're on the same page, can Josh make that throw? Absolutely. That would be a corner of the end zone throw. But where I'm coming from here is this is an all-out blitz, a zero blitz, which means Josh has to make a split-second decision. And I think if you were a good enough route runner and the way Slay was positioned, I think Davis had a step on him regardless if he turned left or right. So in that moment, if you have the whole middle of the field wide open, there's no safety over the top because it's man coverage. I'm taking the middle of the field all day. And that's why they say it's an option route because Gabe had the option to either break outside towards the pylon or he could break inside where there was no safety coverage whatsoever. So that's where the miscommunication comes in. And I guess taking it a step further, I don't like that play call. And to Joe Brady's credit, he said, I need to do better because he wasn't going to say whether it was Josh's fault or Gabe's fault. I mean, we can argue back and forth on Twitter like we've been the last couple of days, but Brady took it on the chin like a true professional. But I'm wondering if he said, I'm not going to give Gabe Davis that option anymore because let's just run something concrete that we know they're going to be on the same page because Gabe Davis usually is a wide receiver who is messing up these option routes. I mean, going back to that Tampa game, Josh and Gabe were on different pages. This is, again, it's not a one or two time fluke anymore. It's becoming a trend where Josh and Gabe can't get on the same page. So if you're going to run the option route, just do it with Diggs because him and Allen have that kind of chemistry that Allen and Davis don't. So the whole thing was just kind of jumbled up to begin with. But 
I guess, uh, long story short, I'm on the side of Gabe Davis should have broken inside and had the middle of the field wide open because I would have to go back and check. But a lot of people were saying on Twitter that was the exact same play in Kansas City during the 13 seconds game where he was wide open. Man, um, as you think about this more, I think the one thing that jumps out to me, too, about this is uh, the ability for the offense to do what it needs to do, get down the field. But the option route to me, look, like he had he missed Gabe earlier on the interception. Actually, you actually can see Gabe's reaction that he had him wide open down the sideline um, and he get, he gets missed. So there's some type of um, miscommunication that's going on between them uh, right now. That's interesting because that's one that's definitely Josh's fault that he had Gabe wide open uh, on what probably at that point, like obviously the bills were up, but it probably seals the game in terms of the bills offense would have probably capped that drive off. So if you watch the play where Josh threw to Diggs and it was red, the reason that was intercepted is because Gabe Davis was wide open. So, um, you know, if he, if he makes it, he makes the hitch, you see the corner come in, Gabe is standing there, uh, 40 to 30. It would have been a 30 to 40 yard play, uh, down the left sideline. Uh, so it's, it's just a matter of just like one split second off on scenarios where, you just needed it to go your way. And that is one that you would still like to see. I still think the corner route is the play because you're not, you're not assuming Josh, by the time he's wind up also, he wasn't beaten as badly as the play looked at the end that he was actually beat. Josh is making a quick read. He thinks Gabe has a definite step to the corner for sure for a touchdown. He's not sure exactly where the corner he's wind up. Uh, let's talk about how good the protection was. Um, Josh knew the play was coming, but it was picked up so well. Josh had another, and this isn't usually the case. You hold the ball too long and it's a fumble or, or sack. Um, he had another split second to take a quick, another look to see exactly where Gabe was going to be and put it on the corner for a touchdown game winning game over. But because the offense he, he's, you know, players are used to like, I'm not going to have any time. The offensive line did really well. Let's talk about number one rated pass blocking offensive line in the NFL. Number four rated run blocking offensive line in the NFL. Um, they've played up to everybody's standards. And I was told all offseason that if the Bills offensive line played to these standards, that that was going to be it. That was going to be the reason the Bills made it to the Super Bowl because Spencer Brown was the biggest weakness and the interior O-line was terrible. And, you know, Mitch Morse was getting old and Dawkins was done. Um, you hear all of those kind of things about this O-line that to this specific play we're talking about did its job so well that Gabe Davis is wide open because look, there's, they sent the house thing. I and mean, that's what a cover zero blitz is. Someone's going to be open. And the reason Gabe was open too is because of Diggs. Diggs, Diggs, Diggs ran such a good route. And Gabe did this last week. Diggs ran such a good route that Gabe Davis was wide open. I don't believe Diggs gets that open because I don't believe he would have, they, they would have bid on it on a Diggs route like that. Um, I think the reason he was open was because of the route that Diggs ran thinking the bills were going for the first down. Um, bring really bringing in the corner, bring in Slay to make sure he had to take a peek. And then, you know, Gabe Davis, the route he ran in the option of the way it went, um, you know, it got him wide open. So I, I believe the play structure was good. It's just, we've seen these miscommunications now um, with Davis at times and they, they, they can be so, so well on the same page. It's as simple as to me, I think that ball gets completed more than it does. And, and it's just so unfortunate that those are the times we're seeing it not come down are in these moments. 
that are huge and not in the moments when you're already up 14 um, against other teams. And you've seen it be successful against Miami, for instance, and it's still a big game. Um, it's just the Bills were ticking on all cylinders against the Miami Dolphins, especially defensively. And that brings us to our next point and next topic of conversation here is the defense. Uh, once again, this show is brought to you by Sons of Erie, www.sonsoferie.com. And please check out the Summit Center, some of the best autism care in Western New York for students and adults with learning and uh, le learning disabilities. So please make sure you do whatever you can to check them out. It's a great facility up in Amherst, New York. But if you, Kevin, as we look through this defensive performance now, we talked a little bit about the offense already and how well they played in the first half. I think you finally saw some of the linebacker issues catch up to them. I mean, I think Matt Milano in this game makes a huge difference. You saw Dodson getting beat wide all game long. Uh, you saw some issues there. You saw them still playing kind of a zone, kind of protect those corners. You saw the pass coverage be really good for the most part. They did really well on A.J. Brown. They did. Um, so what is your kind of takeaway from how well this defense played in the first half and kind of how it finished? Well, this is going to lead into the Sean McDermott conversation. Sure. So I don't know if you want to start that now yeah, or if go. you want to let's talk about it. some of the specifics of the defense first before we get into McDermott. I think that's a good place to start because it, at the end of the day, it comes down to the players executing. So let's talk about the players first before we get into McDermott because that was a lights-out performance in the first half, and it was a tale of two tapes. where I was watching it with some friends up in uh, North Buffalo, and everyone was pumped. We're hanging out at halftime saying, oh, man, as long as we keep playing like this, we should have this in the bag. And I said, hold the phone, Joe, because I've seen this movie way too many times and I know how it ends. And that's the unfortunate thing where you know what's coming. You knew that Philadelphia was going to be able to make the adjustments at halftime. You knew that their offense was going to start clicking. You knew that the Bills defense was going to wear down. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. So, Kevin, I guess, what were your overall impressions of the Bills' defense, specifically the players? Because, you know, I thought we saw a lights-out performance in that first half, a lot of big plays, some turnovers, and then everything just kind of vanished at halftime. I think you saw a Philly offense that needed to make up for its defense playing pretty poorly. Um, and it's a good offense. It really is. It's a solid offense. I would say that their offense is the issue um, in terms of that specific game early on. But for the grand season in Philadelphia, like I don't think their defense is great at all. They're now 17th in DVOA. Uh, their special teams ranks actually number one. So that showed up. Uh, that showed up to probably another reason they won the game. Their offensive rank is seventh. Um, so like to me, you look at their numbers and their estimated wins are 8.4. So now that's starting to really be a gap between their estimated wins based on their numbers and their actual wins. They're going to be two or three wins better than their by the end of the season than they have played. So that's my worry with them in the playoffs is they're not playing up to their record at all. Um, and then you see a team like the Bills who actually, you know, have an estimated wins of seven, which seems lower than they should, but it's still a to their metrics, they've played a full win better. Um, and that's a lot in, in metric-based form. But you look at the way the defense played, and against a pretty high-powered offense, I thought they played pretty good. I thought penalties killed them throughout this game. I thought their special teams issues, who are now 21st DVOA in the league, they're actually 32nd in the league in special teams. 
They've allowed 11.1 points more uh, uh, because of special teams. They're negative 11.1 points allowed because of special teams. That's astronomical. Um, to me, it's fireable. Um, but I guess it's a discussion for another day. And I didn't think that they could shut out shut out this 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 Eagles team like they were doing for the majority of the day. The offense should have put them in better spots. And Kevin, we talked about this last week. We had a segment, is the defense back? Um, and the reason was, was because I personally believe they have faltered. You have seen them falter in four games now. They've allowed Matt Jones to go down the field and score. They've allowed Denver to go down and score. They've allowed uh, Philadelphia to go down and score twice uh, where they needed one stop or the other. So there's a situation to where they're struggling. Uh, they're definitely struggling late in the game. And how concerned should we be with Von Miller? It's 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 a difficult one for me because he makes a lot of money, but we have to put the money. So the money, we, we can get into that. I'll, trust me, I'm a cap guy. We'll get into the money side of this um, later on this season and or, or in the offseason. Uh, but the money side's not great. How concerned we, we should we be with him as a player? I think a little bit. Uh, it's only exactly a year post-surgery. Trey White didn't start to play better till about the end of the season-ish toward the playoffs uh, into this year. Um, so I think that we can have a little more discussion on it la uh, later in the year. Uh, but right now, I'm not overly concerned. The big clip that was going around was a big miss gotcha where he tackles the center. Um, but that's the play. That is literally to free up the defensive tackle. And he did it really well. He got there and freed him up. And, and I thought the defensive tackle was slow um, to, to come around on that, on that specific stunt that he was running. So I, I think Vaughn, I, I think you'll start to see some more Vaughn snaps. I'm definitely not somebody that says, give the snap to Shaq Lawson or Kingsley Jonathan. Um, I, you know, quite frankly, they already have a somewhat of a rotation with AJ Epinesa and Leonard Floyd. I'm not overly concerned at the moment, but that concern level will rise for me um, based on these last five games and how he looks to end this year because Trey White started to look better. Um, he's used a full time to rehab. The Bills need him next year, especially with their cap situation. Um, so I think that everything should be okay, and this is not indicative of an of a Hall of Famer. Um, I think you'll see a strong finish from him after the bye. I think that was always the goal. Anything before that was gravy, but after the bye was always kind of when you might see peak uh, peak Von Miller. So we'll we'll track that. We'll we'll come back to that in five weeks to see. Uh, if he does anything more or if, then we'll start to talk off season cap, all that kind of stuff with Von Miller uh, going forward uh, with um, with that, Kevin. But as as we look at the defense in totality, it struggled. Like, I mean, it wasn't just in the soft zone like they lost the game on blitzing. OK, so the first thing everyone told me was was I need to be aggressive. If we lose being aggressive. I'm, I'll take it. I'll take it if we are aggressive and we lose. That's what I'm looking for. I need something other than a soft zone. They lost blitzing. They lost running a cover zero blitz, essentially. Um, that is that is that is they thought they could create havoc. Um, I know like we hear the we hear the comments from the offensive line after the game, like they knew it was coming and and where we is our famous play, we're gonna score. Like, of course you say one. Like, like, okay. Would you have said that if they got stopped in the backfield? Like, probably not. So that's what the Bills are doing there. Cause if they can create a negative play and and with their with the way the Philadelphia offense runs. You are much more likely to get off the field. I've read by 39% if they go for zero or negative yards on first down. So that's what the Bills were trying to do was to at least put it in a situation to where they had to kick a field goal and give Josh one final chance to get down the field, kick a field goal to win the game. And I don't believe I hate that play because sitting back there in soft zone and letting him go for six, then letting him get a tush push to win. 
probably is worse, in my opinion. Micah High didn't do a lot there. He just read it right. The way that it got picked up was good. It's not always going to come home. And essentially, the Eagles should have lost on their cover zero blitz already. Um, but ultimately, I believe the defense isn't isn't they're missing their their key cog at each position level. Um, with Trey White being gone, I still think he would help out in these games. Matt Milano's a huge loss. Daquan Jones is an astronomical loss. Uh, at some point, you're missing enough pieces there that some of this stuff's going to pop up and appear. Um, and I didn't think the safety play was nearly as bad as people are making it out to be. I still think you see one or two of them back next year, Kevin. So kind of what's your takeaway and what's your overall opinion on how the defense was called? Yeah. So let me go back to Von Miller for a second. I want to highlight a few other players and then something that you just said will be the perfect segue um, for the Sean McDermott talk. So with Von Miller, let's not forget that he had that knee brace on. So I don't know if that was a year from when the injury happened or a year from the surgery, but I would assume that he's been playing with that knee brace right along. And now I would think that he could take the knee brace off. He can use a bye week to get extra right. And then Kansas City is a big game where we need Vaughn to be Vaughn. So like you said, I'm going to piggyback off what you said. I'm not that worried. I'm a little concerned right now because I would want to see him appear on the box score more than, I mean, does he even have a tackle this year? I know he doesn't have a sack. Uh, like are you, t- are you talking about like an actual accumulated tackle yeah like does he have anything to show yeah, right he now has, he has two two whole tackles okay and an assist it's tackle yes so i'm gonna hold off on my concern for right now because like you said i think the five final games will be telling now the other players that i want to comment on terrell dodson he is pff's highest graded bills player at 89.9 still, so take that for what it's worth. But on that one uh, scramble by Jalen Hurts, you could see the difference of Terrell Dodson and Matt Milano. Where Milano would have had Jalen Hurts tracked down, yep. and Dodson just did not have the right angle. So that hurts. And then I saw someone comment about Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, and to your point, they haven't been bad, but they're not at that all-pro level anymore. I think they both lost a step. I think they're still very solid, but... I mean, Zacchaeus, wasn't he called up from the practice squad? He's on their roster. Um, and Because I thought he got called up from the practice squad earlier in the week because I remember saying, watch him make a big play on us because that would just be the the only thing that would happen. You know, it just kind of seems like these teams, like remember Cincinnati, they brought up all those tight ends. Uh, what was that dude's name? Like their third string tight end that no one had heard of before, and he ended up making a big impact on the game. So Zacchaeus, whether he was a call-up or not, he was the one that caught that big touchdown. And, yeah, you got to give it to the offense sometimes because sometimes it is just a great play, a great scramble, a great throw, and a great catch. But uh, I believe it was George. To his point, I think um, Poyer and Hyde are each losing a step, and they're definitely on the decline of their careers. So that's where I'm at from a individual perspective. If you want to comment on that before we get into McDermott. Uh, no, no, I think I had my, my good play. Yeah. I mean, he was on the roster. He's got 14, uh, 14 targets, seven catches for 116 yards and two touchdowns. He's been useless. Uh, the bills kind of had two plays now against them in this game. 
or excuse me, in this season where Denver uh, did it with Cortland Sutton, who's been known to do it. And then Zacchaeus here, both are, both are toss up plays. Uh, Sutton's play was like 2%. Zacchaeus's were like three or four. Uh, it's just super back to the numbers and the eye test and the number test. It's just super unlucky to where what is happening to the teams with their ball luck right now. Just like that catch fumble uh, that could have just, you saw against uh, uh, the, uh, the um, Chargers uh, that was called the fumble on Keenan Allen was not called on AJ Brown could have very easily been, and he wouldn't have been able to really uh, overturn it either way. So it's just kind of the way the cookie crumbles and there's still hope that the bills have, and we're going to get into that segment next, but Sean McDermott time for Kevin. Why don't you tell us your opinions right now on what we see from the head coach of the uh, 2023 Buffalo bills? Well, let me just start this segment by saying I've officially come to the conclusion that Sean McDermott coaches to not lose rather than coaching to win. And again, tying this into how we started the show before you thought things were a fluke where the hail Murray or the 13 seconds. And it's like, Oh, we're just going to get better with communication and we're going to prepare a little bit more and we just need to execute better. But now it's becoming a trend where again, the bills have lost the game of the year every single year for the last four years. And then you look at the Denver game with 12 men on the field. Now with 20 seconds, kneeling it out. Are you kidding me? You have Josh Allen playing one of the best games that we have seen in recent memory. I don't want to overstate that, but the point is Josh was balling out and it was raining. I don't want to leave that out either. I mean, you couldn't even tell how bad the conditions were because Josh was just absolutely on fire. And you don't even want to give your $250 million quarterback a chance to go win you the game? Did you not learn anything in the 13 seconds when it only took Mahomes 13 seconds to go get into field goal range? Or did you not learn anything when Jake Elliott just drilled a 59-yard field goal not even a minute ago and you don't want to give your kicker that same opportunity on those same conditions on that same field? I mean, these are just repeated events where it's not just a fluke anymore. It's becoming a trend. And I'm not saying that we need to um, fire Sean McDermott right now because I don't see any point of that midseason. But like we were saying with Von Miller, how these final five games are going to be huge for him. This is going to be huge for Sean McDermott because if this team misses the playoffs with this roster and with Josh Allen playing the way he is now and Stefan Diggs and the rest of the crew, that is a fireable offense right there. And then fourth and seven in overtime. Now, you could go back and forth on this because the people that I was watching the game with, they're like, no, be safe, kick the field goal, because if you don't convert on fourth and seven, you're thinking, why didn't you at least try to get the points? You would have got crushed. your defense. So, but I was like, you know what? Again, did you not learn against the Chiefs in the 2020 AFC Championship game, uh, AFC Championship game or even 13 seconds where you can't beat these high-powered dominant teams with field goals? If you have Josh Allen, go for it. I mean, I know it was an all-out blitz and there was that miscommunication and you have a chance to have that same thing happen on fourth and seven, but I like my chances with Josh, man. Give him the ball. Put the ball in his hands when the game's on the line. Um, Rebuttal time. So on the first point, um, so there's some definite agreements I have and some, some disagreements on some of the topics. The first one I have is one that even Tony Romo said and others have said, if for some reason, now I'm not worried about sack fumble, don't care, but if for some reason he misreads it, it is wet out, he throws an interception, you lose the game right then and there. 
I mean, here, look, the one I disagree with, icing the kicker. Horrible decision. I'll never agree with it for McDermott or the next coach or the coach before him or Bill Belichick or whoever you want to point to. I think it's stupid. Uh, as a former kicker, lower level kicker myself, um, it doesn't do anything. It helps you refocus. Any kicker who can't refocus in there is not making it to college, let alone the pros. Um, they get to refocus. Really where a kicker struggles is the opposite scenario, running onto the field. That's why he missed in, in Tampa Bay. A uh, situation where scattered, like you have, you're missing offensive linemen, protections off, bad hold. Um, that's really tough. Like a kicker's not a quarterback. That's really tough for a kicker to adjust anything other than the way he drops, the way he sets, and the way he angles uh, and, and lines up a kick. Um, that is pivotal. If any of that's thrown off, that affects you. Cold balls don't affect you. It's easy to kick a cold ball. Um, certain scenarios like that, sometimes the weather, you know, that might be raining, but as long as it's held properly and it's not slipping and sliding, very easy to kick in cold weather. The ball's harder. You get a better launch angle on it. Um, and the, or of an altitude, let's say in Denver. Um, but a scenario where there's never a purpose to ice the kicker. They're too good now. Maybe there was some statistical evidence of it in the 80s um, at times when timeouts weren't needed. You know, you, you, quarterbacks didn't drive like they do now at the end of games. Sure. Like it was a different style of game, but it does nothing. It does nothing. Um, and in a scenario where he misses, you win anyways. Great. And a scenario where he makes it. Now you have extra timeouts. I don't hate the timeout to set up your defense. I think you're thinking if you make a play and then, and then prevent the kick from happening, um, you win the game anyway. So I don't know that I hate the first timeout, uh, especially with the outcome and results of that scenario. I thought it was fine. Um, I would still like to not call it, but I'm not going to not going to go too crazy on that one. Um, in that situation, the ice, a kicker is terrible. Like it's not, it's a, it, they need to learn like every, every coach, just like taking a timeout um, uh, on third and 17 uh, when you're running out of time on the, on the, on the play clock, dumb timeout is the timeout is worth way more than the five yards, especially in a lot of scenarios in the second half, maybe beside a fourth and inches from the goal line. Okay. Okay. But most other situations, absolutely pivotal to keep that timeout, including icing the kicker. Bad decision, uh, cost them mightily. So now you go to the now you go to the play of the decision to kneel on it. Now you're 20 seconds with the with one timeout. The reason Mahomes is able to have 13 seconds, and we really want to talk about it for a second. He had three timeouts, Kevin. He had three timeouts. Without the timeouts, that doesn't happen. So let's say Mahomes has 13 seconds in one timeout. They'd be playing pitchy, pitchy, woo-woo um, because they would they would use the middle of the field in order to do so. I think with even two times, the error was the, the icing the kicker timeout. When you made that decision between the defensive timeout and the icing the kicker timeout, that made the decision pre-kickoff for you. Uh, and then they didn't squib it, which was super interesting because you have learned in many scenarios where you kick it through the end zone and give them the ball in the 25 with full time. That is a no, no. So it's very interesting for a very uh, good special teams unit in Philadelphia. The squib didn't happen to take four seconds off the clock. So there you have it that teams don't like to squib it because kickers, if they miss hit that dude, the ball could be out of bounds at the 40. Um, so there's so much risk with squibbing. Uh, you can pick it up, run for five yards and fall on it on the 40 on the 35. Like there's a lot of error with that. And that goes back to like the whole special teams of Tyler Bass kicking it through the end zone on 13 seconds. So I think that like even Philadelphia, who's been buttoned up special teams, made a bad decision. You do not kick that through the end zone. You do not. Um, so I think that they've made an error too. Um, but unfortunately, I think they bought into the fact that the Bills only had one timeout. That's really only that's that's tough to get off the fourth play um, that you generally need to win a game. 
Um, Holmes is able to do it in three, uh, but that's with at least two timeouts. But but you're not guaranteed a third and a fourth play in those situations. And I think that's what makes that difficult. But I would have liked the knee. I would have liked to go first down and then made my decision from there how that play goes. Um, you know, if, 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 if that's bad or it doesn't go anywhere, then yeah, you, you do need to kneel on it at that stage. But ultimately I don't like that decision, uh, at all. You have the best quarterback in the world, but could you imagine if they press the issue and Josh throws a pick at the 50, uh, on the first down and what, like we would have heard about, like there are a lot of lose, lose situations for Sean McDermott right now in the bills. He needs a coach perfectly. Um, and that's a tough feat because in your scenario, if he goes for it on fourth and seven and gets it great, Josh, it's. It's Josh Allen's the reason they won, Kevin. If he if he doesn't get it, he's this is worse. Um, it's it is. And then let's say similarly, if they go and win it in 20 seconds, that's Josh Allen, not Sean McDermott. And similarly, if he throws an interception on the 45 or 50, like he did to the Diggs play earlier in the game on that side of the field, then that's on McDermott, not Josh. So you can kind of see the conundrum that you're faced with these kind of decisions that you have and the cover zero blitz. He felt like in the end of the game, like he felt like he needed to make a play to knock out, knock hurts out because of the statistics of getting them off rhythm could have won them the game um, rather than them winning the game on fourth down on a tush push. So I understand it but because in Cincinnati, all we heard about was the lack of pressure uh, in the game. So that's a tough one for me to get overly mad about. But, um, you know, I'm maybe one of few people that I'm not a Sean McDermott defender, but I'm somebody that is wary of what is to come with those decisions personnel wise, how that affects being what that means for being. Cause I certainly don't want them both gone. Um, so there's just so many decisions that I think he's well-respected within uh, the front office. Um, I don't think Terry Pagula in building a stadium's first thought is going to be to eat $42 million and find another coach. So I think that there's a lot of discussions that like, a six and six team is not going to be on the top of his forefront when he's got the Sabres to worry about too, um, to firing the coach of a team that has made, like you just said, has made the playoffs now looking at, you know, potentially four years in a row on the, on the, uh, on the AFC East side and then a fifth in the playoff side. So it's tough. Um, I think a second year makes that a little easier uh, if that happens ever again. Um, but on a one-time basis, you show to your team that you have Josh Allen. And if you go seven or to the Bills go nine and eight, you go nine and eight, you're done. I, I mean, I don't know that that deters a candidate, but they're definitely thinking about in the back of their head, like this guy turned around a program that wasn't considered very highly. What is that going to mean for me? The new coach coming in, um, will they get their top, top choice? If that's the case, they still should with a quarterback like Josh Allen, but I don't know what the offseason would hold. Um, so it's very interesting. I think it comes down to the players too. If the players want the guy, I do think that that holds a lot. If they don't want him, that's it. I mean, that could be it. But if the players want him, I think that's the, that's the sign that like this is a fan-led problem with firing Sean McDermott. And I'm not there yet. My mind could totally change when uh, uh, two more losses down the road here. But as of right now, I'm not there yet with Sean McDermott because the Bills are the second winningest team in the entire sports fandom from the four major sports teams. Uh, it's tough for me to say uh, there's some bad losses in there, um, but a lot of quarterbacks themselves too don't win until their thirties. So Kevin, I'm willing to give it one more year. Josh Allen's going to be good for seven, eight, nine more years. But if there's a mishap next year, then I think you're going to accumulate the remainder of the people that will, that are keeping Sean McDermott. And look, he was able to hire Joe Brady. Um, so I think ultimately 
that was a good tiebreaker. Do you give, how about you? Do you, what do you think about his ability to make a decision in season and go to someone like Joe Brady? Um, when really your quarterback by all accounts wanted Ken Dorsey for sure. I mean, that's still a pretty good coaching decision. And, and, and the one thing we do forget, and you look at all the charts, you look at all the decisions, he's a really good decision maker on fourth down. I know the kneel down didn't feel that way, but analytics just don't point to it. He's like second in the league at making the right call and going for it, punting or kicking. Um, and that's adding win percentage. We focus so much right now. We're so hyper-focused this season. Um, but ultimately, he needs to be better himself too. But I think that uh, I'm giving him another season. So do you, what, do you, what is your opinion on the move to Brady in the middle of the season in a, in, in a do or die moment? I think that was one of McDermott's best decisions all year. Um, and like I said earlier, now it's to the point where Brady's been so successful. You almost wonder if this should have happened sooner, like maybe after the Patriots game and you think, okay, maybe you would have had a better shot against the Bengals or the yep. Broncos. So, I mean, it's kind of in hindsight now because I try to look at it from the positive perspective and say maybe it was good that we lost to the Broncos because that was the final straw that really showed McDermott that Ken Dorsey wasn't it. So I'm trying to remain optimistic and say that everything happens for a reason. But, yeah, I mean, to your point, um, McDermott definitely deserves a lot of credit for making that move in season because I don't think that he's ever done that in his tenure here with the bills right that was the first coordinator that he's let go during the season correct yep during the season obviously he's let go um you know rick dennison after his first year um but generally the turn of like the, all this talk about the firing and and whatnot of, of coaches like like their, their their special teams coordinator lost their job because of 13 seconds like a very fireable offense um like why wouldn't you lose your job for that? Like you got to take some account. Like that wasn't, it wasn't Sean McDermott's fault. It's Sean McDermott's fault to take action and get rid of the guy that couldn't, that couldn't phone in his wants on 13 seconds. That is completely his fault. Uh, his fault. It shouldn't have gotten to an overtime defensive possession. Um, and equally so Brian Dable got a promotion. Um, and uh, Leslie Frazier, it, he has said it himself. That was not a firing. He wanted to step away from football like that. That is not a Sean's like blame in the pace and the blame on, on him for the Bengals game. Um, that was simply like a decision that he made for himself and his family on uh, taking the year off of, of, of coaching. So, I, I mean, I don't, there's, they generally, he generally, the reason he, he hired so well, he had Brady on his staff. Um, that was a hire, you know, that he made a connection to for Ken Dorsey um, to make sure that they had a really good quarterbacks coach. They have Shula who's been good as well. Um, they have a plethora of guys who've called plays before. They have a plethora of guys who've called defenses before as well. Um, you have a nice up and coming linebackers coach who's gotten a lot out of Edmonds and Bernard and Milano and now Dodson and maybe even Dorian Williams as well and Bobby Babbage Jr. So like there is a plethora of talented player or coaches on this staff to where I do think this offseason he's going to need to name a defensive coordinator. And I hope it goes to Bobby Babbage Jr. Because what he's been able to do and his brightness and and, and his speak in press conferences um, deserves him to be in his pedigree. And uh, deserves him to be, in my opinion, the Bills defensive coordinator this offseason. So we'll see where that takes him. But Bobby Badger Jr. is a name to watch uh, this offseason. So so ultimately, I need to see some more out of what they're going to do to end this year. But if they put up a fight, I don't really even think there's even talks. Like to fire the coach after a really good game against a really good opponent in the rain on the road 
is not the time now at the end of the year when if they go six and 11 okay let's have that open discussion 100 percent. but the emotional response to um to a really good game where they put in position to win a couple of times um and ultimately the eagles are really good like they're really really good and unfortunately they got it done in a game where you were hoping they weren't able to get it done once or the other um so that brings us kind of to our last topic, though. Let's talk about the positive. Let's talk about the well, good. Hang on. I, I have a few more things to oh, say. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so, okay, I'm trying to figure out, because I still have a bunch of things that I want to get to with McDermott. I'm just trying to organize how I want to go about it here. Yeah, because there is a lot to talk about. And as we all know, there's no game to prep for, so we don't have any score predictions coming up. Uh, we'll probably have some final takeaways, and we're, we definitely want to – scout the rest of the AFC and try to let you know who to root for in this off week here. So I want to take some more time on McDermott. So to finish off your point, I don't think he's going to get fired unless like you said, they can't win another game or they go one and four or something crazy like that. And he loses the locker room then. Okay. He's probably getting fired, but the way I see it is they're going to look at this and say, you know what? We really liked, what Sean did with that defense that was decimated by injuries. We really liked what Joe Brady did, and we want the two of them to run it back together. And, you know, we had a lot of injuries, a lot of adversity, and we were there. We were very close, but for whatever reason, we weren't finishing those one-score games. So we're going to try to look at the tape. We're going to be better, and we're going to bring everyone back next year and run it back because I see this first window of Josh Allen's career being open for one more year because you'll probably have Von Miller back for one more year before he can opt out of his deal. You have Diggs for one more year. I know he's under contract for more, but one more year where the dead cap is just way too much for him to request a trade. And I'm not trying to start that rumor that he's going to request a trade, but he turns 30 today. So it is realistic that after next year, things might start to unravel. You look at guys like Jordan Poirier and Micah Hyde. They will probably be retired by then. You have all these guys on one-year deals like Leonard Floyd, Puna Ford, Tim Settle, and Daquan Jones are up for contract. Shaq Lawson, Jordan Phillips, um, you know Matt Milano, Trey White, Deion Dawkins. I'm not sure exactly where they're at with their contracts, but they are going to be up for new contracts relatively soon, not to mention they're about 30 years old as well. So this first window is probably open until the end of the 24 season. So that's why I think that the Bills will ultimately run it back with McDermott and give him and this core one more opportunity before saying, okay, now we are in the back window of Josh Allen's career. Let's go get an offensive-minded coach or whoever they're thinking, but let's try to regroup and rebuild for the back half of Allen's career. So that's that's how I see it. I don't think McDermott's going to go, but I do agree that these final five games are huge. Now, in terms of the things that we are seeing right now with McDermott and some things that are still bothering me, someone brought this up on Twitter last night, and I thought it was a great point, that McDermott gets aggressive on defense, but not on offense. Because you were talking about the final play of the game on defense, where he sends everyone. It's an all-out blitz, and they try to do everything to go get Jalen Hurts, where McDermott even admitted to that. He said, 
yeah, like we wanted to wreak havoc and we wanted to put pressure on Hertz to force him to make a decision. So it's like, okay, you play bend but don't break defense, say what you want about the soft zone coverage, that whole drive. But when the game matters most, McDermott turns on the aggressiveness for his defense. But can you say that same thing for about the offense? I don't think so. Because when it mattered most, they kneeled it out or they elected for the field goal. So that tells me that he trusts his defense more than his offense. And in a league where you're going to win with offense and in a league where he should be learning these lessons after multiple encounters and multiple years of being the head coach, that's what scares me. That is what is holding me back on McDermott and really questioning if he is the right coach for this team and for this quarterback. I think the discussion for me is the circumstantial nature of the calls. Like we're, we're saying because he kneeled on it, he wasn't, I think their offense is very aggressive and, and, and Sean McDermott to let them be aggressive the majority of the season, hurtingly. So to the point where the offensive coordinator gets fired. Um, I think they've, they've been very aggressive. And then we're trying to see, should he scale back? We've talked all off season. Should he be, should he scale back? Should he run last? Should he do this? Um, should he, you know, not, not look for the honey hole as much, you know, whatever the discussion may be. But I think that this game is just the way it played out in terms of if that's fourth and seven, they're down three. We don't know what he would have done. Would he would have kicked the field goal just to give it back to Philly to go win on a field goal? Like if the if it was reversed, I don't I don't think we can make that a discussion where maybe he does put the ball in Josh Allen's hand and say a field goal ties it. They're going to go down and, and win at with the with the sudden death anyways. Now they only need a field goal. Um, so I don't know that we know for sure. It just happened to be a scenario to where they got the ball with 20 seconds and one timeout. And he said he went through it a million times or whatever with permutations. Uh, we don't know that he's not being aggressive because he feels like Josh is going to go win it in overtime, which he was this close to doing. So I think that that's, that's the difference is it's not like he had a whole quarter next in overtime to go. He, he, he's, he's wanting Josh to go win it in an optimal situation not with 20 seconds and some goofball, bad penalty, some goofball fumble or something happens. And now Josh actually doesn't get the, the ability to go play. Cause I do still stand on this. He would have taken a ton of heat if something went wrong in that 20 seconds, maybe even so much that would have caused some bad issues. So I will stand on that. Like, I still think that, and even Tony Romo said it more can go wrong than right. Everything went right for Mahomes in 13 seconds. They had the three timeouts though. Um, everything can go right for you in those situations, but you need everything to go right. A little minor thing goes wrong. And this is a different discussion we're having about those 20 seconds. And now we're probably using it against them. And I could absolutely see a situation to we're for sure using that 20 second. How, how could he ever do this? Josh Allen in overtime. How could we ever give him those 20 seconds to, why would we ever want to push it in the rain in, you know, with one time, whatever, like, I don't think he could win in that scenario personally outside of it. And if it was, if they would have won in that scenario, Josh Allen gets all the credit, like all of it. Like it would have been like, of course you go for it. Or you, because you have job, like he would have gotten no credit for, for putting his foot on the, on the gas pedal in that scenario. And he just said, and it almost worked. They got the ball first. They drove the entire field. They had the essentially a wide open player in the end zone uh, to win the game. It was the right call. in, in my opinion, but going back on it, now you're thinking like, I didn't really hear a ton about kneeling on it until after the Eagles were like, had the ball and driving and the Bills had kick a field goal. Like I didn't hear like a ton about the kneeling on it scenario. 
um, because I think we played the results a little bit with that one. But ultimately, I think he is pretty aggressive on offense, and it's a lot of Brady's call or or Dorsey's call prior of how aggressive the offense is. Sure, he may say to punt, but he, like I said earlier, second best coach in the league at making the right fourth down decisions. He is aggressive um, on offense specifically. So that's where it just didn't accumulate the way that this specific game ended. Um, Because ultimately, I'll be honest, he played it like the the defense played actually the final drive really well. And they put him in a 59-yard field goal in the pouring rain, swirling rain. He thinks he's winning the game um, in that scenario. And he'd rather kneel on it, recoup, get a full drive of Josh Allen to go win a football game with no time restrictions, no timeout restrictions, no constraints, go win the football game. Um, and I can't blame him for giving Josh an entire field with no limitations to go win a game like he almost did. So I can't fault him too much on that one, Kevin. See, now I think this is a microcosm of who Sean McDermott is as a coach, because to your point, is the offense aggressive in general? Yes. But are they aggressive when it matters most? And I can't say yes for that. And for the same thing, you could say, Does Sean McDermott win games? Yes. But does he win the big games? Does he win in the big moments? And I can't say that either. So I think it's a weird kind of relationship where you're starting to see how it aligns here. And I want to go back to the 22nd kneel out here because something that we haven't mentioned yet is that they were faced with almost the exact same scenario last year in Detroit on Thanksgiving. The only difference was he had three timeouts and 25 seconds to work with, and they were indoors. So they proved that they could do it because they didn't even have to use those timeouts. Allen threw that rope to Diggs. Timeout. I believe Josh ran it for nine yards, and then they got into field goal range, took another timeout. It was either a timeout or he ran out of bounds, and then Bass made a long field goal. So Sean McDermott proved that he can have that it factor. He proved that he can be aggressive in those moments and that he can let Josh be Josh and win you the games. So that's where I'm at with this, where I just need to see it more from McDermott because that is the biggest thing holding him back right now and the biggest thing holding this team back. Now, you could throw the blame around just about every single angle you want, offense, defense, special teams, coaching, even if you want to talk about Brandon Bean's construction of this roster or the depth. But at the end of the day, the Bills are 2-6 and six in one-score games this year. You look at the opposition, Philadelphia is now 7-1. and one. That comes down to coaching. The one-score game is a factor where I heard for a long time that there was just more of a lucky kind of thing. You know, what, what, what does it – how does it – it's just more ball luck – Um, you know, so the one score factor is something I've been talking about even previous to the 13 seconds previous to those issues where, um, it is a very strange type of relationship with one score wins. Then you see a team like the Vikings break a record, uh, and now they completely flip it. Like, I do think that there's a luck factor in, and prior to the bill 2021, the bills are really good, uh, in, in the one score game, you know, category 2020, excuse me, 2021, they weren't 20 last year. They were okay. They were good, um, at it. You know, this year they've regressed again. So I think that that's kind of the relationship when your team's good. Least amount of blowouts in the end. I think it's been 35 games since multiple score losses. Um, you've lost by yeah, the same amount. The Colts game in 21 was the last time that they lost yes. by more than one score. Yep. Um, so so like two full calendar years ago. 
So they're going to have more losses in one score unless they win every game. I guess Philly is um, unless you win every game. Um, you, you, the Bills are going to have a high one loss score record. And they, they should not get knocked for winning by 20. The Bills have won four games by 26 points. They've lost their four uh, six games total by 26 points. Um, so at some point, like, you don't lose credit for scoring too many points. Like, that doesn't – like, it should be wins total, like wins and one score, wins plus one score, and then how many one-score losses you have because you shouldn't get knocked for winning uh, by eight points. They bury teams. Like, they literally are good in one-score games, and they bury them in the fourth quarter a lot of times. Like if it's a one score game for the majority of the day, like it was like even in Washington was more two scores, but like just because they go and crush them in the fourth quarter, isn't a negative problem to do against bad team. The bills have, are historically good against bad teams. They have just lost a few of them this, this year. And that's a bigger difference than this Eagles overtime loss that everyone probably marked an L on their calendar preseason early this season. And even maybe there was some hope that I had because I didn't like the way the Philly defense is playing but a lot of people marked the L down, including you marked the L down on the calendar uh, for this game. But it isn't, that isn't the one that should bother people. It's still the Mac Jones drive. Um, it's still the, 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 just the Denver's winning in lucky ways right now, but just still the Denver game just is not the, the Jets punt return loss. Can't really say anything about the Jags in London game. That was weird. Um, and even and the, the Jags are game, good too. Yeah, they're good. And I think they're playing better than their records better than they are, but it was a weird situation. They stayed an extra week. Uh, they played well at the end of the game. So there was situations in the Jags that I don't, I don't, I don't knock them for that at you know nearly at all um, in that one. But the 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 Broncos game, even the Bengals was a bad. I'm sorry. Like I know Burrow. Burrow played good two games this season. The Bills against the Bills at home and against the 49ers. <clears throat> he was not good the rest of the year. Uh, now he's hurt. It's just unfortunate that um, that the Bills had to face that specific um, uh, that specific time for Joe Burrow. They just have had some bad ball luck uh, across the uh, the NFL uh, this season. So I'm still more mad that they let Mac Jones, who hadn't done it since his rookie year, drive down the field and even kick a field goal, let alone win the game on a touchdown. Because uh, I think yeah. the Bills win that in overtime. But it, it, it's it's that that's that's wild to me that that was the one and i tweeted that after the game i said i'm totally okay with this type of loss if you had beaten the jets the patriots and the broncos now sure. would we have still been upset that late game decision making came down to cost them and just they couldn't execute in the officiating and just the bad luck or whatever have you of course we still would have been very upset but at the end of the day if we were sitting here at nine and three right now with losses to the Jaguars, Bengals, and Eagles, having beaten the Jets, the Patriots, and the Broncos, I would feel so much more at ease right now. I wouldn't feel all that weight on my shoulders and saying, oh man, we have to win at least four, if not all five games remaining here, or else we're going to be stuck on our couches come January. I think we'd be talking about how well the offense played and how happy we are that, that they're playing well into the stretch. I think we would be, um, that would be the difference is like, yeah, it was kind of some, some bad refing, some bad decisions, a few things we would be talking about how excited we were that going into this stretch, um, how we can really be and compete against any team. Um, I think that would be what the show would be. If, if that was the case, I, I truly believe, uh, you are correct. Uh, if they were able to, um, 
were able to talk about that. But now it's time to transition. As always, this show is brought to you by sonsofeerie.com. Please smash the like button. That means a ton to us if you can hit that like button for us. Uh, we can continue to bring you great contact to all of our Facebook listeners and viewers. Thank you so much, YouTube, you as well. And on our de on-demand listeners, thank you for listening to us in podcast form. Please leave us five stars and please smash that like button once again. Throw some comments down there. We have some good active live comments, but please leave any comments for us as well. But it's time to kind of talk about the standings and the playoff situation right now. Team rankings is a little bit more negative on the Bills. There were some other positive stats, but I wanted to bring you more their ne the, the, the negative way to look into this right now. Uh, after losing to Philadelphia, you know, Buffalo's projected to go 9-8. and eight. Uh, they, they decrease their odds are down 21%. They decrease uh, to 21%. They decrease a 15%. Uh, we currently rank the Bills as the, uh, the number five team in the NFL. Um, well, go figure. Uh, next game is Sunday, December 10th at uh, number four, Kansas City in the power rankings. Uh, we'll get into the Kansas City game more specifically next week. We'll save that for next week. We're not going to break down too much of what I think about that team right now. I will have a Casey guest on for a little bit of it, too. So make sure you turn into uh, tune into that week edition next week. Um, but as you look at, Kevin, you had a segment last week where you predicted a loss. A close loss. Uh, you know, we saw a close loss. It was a little higher scoring. Um, but tell us why your, your your scenario has a chance. So tell us exactly your reasoning and how you feel now a week later. Yeah, so a week ago tonight, I said, I believe that the Bills are going to lose either against Philadelphia or Kansas City because I feel like they're going to win one out of the two. And then I ended up picking Philadelphia because of this right here and other reasons but this has me feeling very optimistic right now so in 2020 they finished on a six game winning streak and won the afc east 2021 they finished on a four game winning streak and won the afc east 2022 they finished on a seven game winning streak and won the afc east so i said you know, I think that the Bills match up better against the Chiefs than they do the Eagles. They're on the road. They're banged up in the secondary. It's going to be raining. I'm not sure if I necessarily like this matchup. I think the offense is going to get back on track, but I just don't see the Bills being able to pull it out. And that's exactly what happened. So sure enough, here we are, 6-6. Six and six. The Dolphins won, like I predicted, and we are worried, like I predicted. So now, this is totally in store here where the bills could win out and the dolphins can still lose. Now they have a very easy schedule over the next couple of weeks, but then they finish out with Dallas, Baltimore, and then Buffalo. And that's where I still think that the AFC East could be on the line week 18 between the 11 and five Miami dolphins and the 10 and six Buffalo bills. Well, um, Need some help now um, in the form of uh, some Miami Dolphins losses as well, because your scenario could be happen. Uh, but that does come with a Cowboys win. So the Cowboys are going to beat uh, lose to the Bills, but then a beat the Dolphins um, and then a loss to the Ravens. Now they could then see a loss to the uh, to the commanders here this week or the Jets. Um, I don't see either or the Titans. Sorry, um, I don't see either any of those. But if they lose to any of those three, I think your scenario happens. I mean, there's nothing more that I want than to come on the Going to Buffalo show in five weeks from now talking about the Miami game with the season on the line and the division on the line. Because for all that we've talked about, 
I think we deserve that. Now I'm not saying they're going to, you know, crush them and win it all and go win the Super Bowl, but I am saying I think that they are at least able to go one and done against the Miami Dolphins in Miami week 18 with the season on the line. Now that's probably on Sunday night football if this is the case uh, to your scenario. Um then I mean that they deserve at least that in this season. I do think that they should be able to at least fight one game uh, with everything on the line, one game back in the standings. They would have the tiebreaker if they win. Um, just that ability, because if they are um, tied, so I don't know how the Bills would be one game up on Miami going into that game. Um, it's not possible really anymore, but Miami has the tiebreakers in any scenarios uh, where they don't get swept. Every other scenario would go the Dolphins way because uh, by virtue of beating the Jets uh, once already and the Patriots twice. So, um, but anyways, I think the Bills fans and we're, we're owed the ability to talk about this scenario to where one game playoff game, really. I don't know if the Bills would make it anyways with a loss and take the seven seed. I don't know if that would exist or not. The FC looks pretty bad in terms of these teams are all bad, but they're playing each other and they're getting wins and, and there's plenty of bad NFC teams and, there's just going to be too many 10 and eight teams. And I don't know that all the tiebreakers are going to go to Bill's way. They might, as long as um, they win all these AFC games, but that certainly comes with a win in Miami anyways, uh, which would then potentially win them the division. So I think that you need to root for cold weather Tua. you need to root for that week 18 game to matter uh, because I think that Bill's fans are owed it. They are owed the ability with this team to have a chance to do the runs that you've been talking about. Uh, just like I tweeted too. Six and six coming off of a loss in overtime against the past NFC championship team. Right there you have it against a team uh, that the Bills found their offense in that game too. There was a lot of talk about Dable at that time. Now he's considered the best offensive coordinator ever. Uh, but there was a lot of talks at that stage, at this time in 2021, right after that Tampa game, they had finally found their ability to win football games offensively they did lose that on a similar style of not calls calls against not against Diggs, but against mike evans um so many similarities in an in in offensive game where they also lost on a touchdown in overtime to the tampa bay box who had just made it to the super bowl uh, and won the super bowl similarly to the eagles on uh, a very similar situation a few games back of, a, of another team in the afc east the new england at the time um the bills rip off and go to 11 and 6 and they have a chance now to go to five straight the one thing I was told was how much better some of the teams are that they play. Um, I'm not sure that's a negative thing because they've lost a dot. They've lived the three games we've already talked about. Um, so I'm not sure that just because they would have had a game against Atlanta or, you know, whomever, it doesn't really matter at this day. Indianapolis would be a good, good one. Someone like that does not mean that these games are any easier for the bills right now. So I think I'd rather go and prove it because how good would you feel next week on Sunday after a chief's victory, and now we're doing we're doing a lot of playoff scenario permutations um, if the Bills are able to score that win. Oh, for sure. And I tweeted something today where I'm getting similar vibes to the 2017 Bills because, and I, I agree with you too with the 21 scenario. To my point earlier about how the Bills have been able to finish on winning streaks. Well, let's go back to McDermott's first year here. So the Bills went into Kansas City late in the season with the 500 record. They were 5-5 five and five at the time. It was on November 26th, so a little bit earlier in the season. But there were a lot of questions about McDermott's decisions because if you remember, that was when he started Nathan Peterman over Tyrod. And Peterman was just the absolute worst 
in terms of those few games that he appeared in. I'm not going to say he's the worst quarterback ever, but we all know how bad that stretch was. And then he goes back to Tyrod when you think that he lost the locker room and they somehow were able to win those four games. And that's what I said with the tweet. They need to win at least four games to keep the season alive. The Bills did win four more, and they got some help. All the the magic from the Cincinnati Bengals and Tyler Boyd and Andy Dalton, and they walked into the playoffs, or maybe I should say they snuck into the playoffs with the nine and seven record. And for what it's worth, the final two games were against New England and Miami. So between the 2017 Bills and the 2021 Bills, I'm really hoping that the 2023 Bills can pull off some similar type of magic because I really do think that they have it in them. And for what it's worth, the Bills are 6-0 and coming off of the bye under Sean McDermott. Now, I believe all those games have been at home. They've never had to go on the road following the bye. But, I mean, those stats and those numbers and the tweets that we just showed, they're all very favorable. Let's get into the final thing I want to talk about here tonight, the rooting interest for the Buffalo Bills this week. Everybody's wondering, well, we don't have anything to, to watch. Generally, on a bye week, the Bills have a good enough record to really you don't care. Um, but this is, this is different for us. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to roll with it. Um, you know, great thread here on Reddit, um, about who you should be rooting for. Obviously, you know, a Patriots against the Chargers, Sure. Like it's not that important. You can see here by the amount of claps, how important a game is. Um, uh, but the Colts and Titans, yeah, we're, we're, we're rooting, we're rooting for Titans right now. I mean, you know, go out there a lot on the line for Mike Vrabel. We're hoping that he's going to be able to get it done for us. They play some teams down the stretch that we need the Titans to win. Uh, that'd be very useful. Um, um, you have the Cardinals Steelers game, um, one where Kyler Murray can, can really help the bills. He's, he's been playing better. He didn't play real great last week. Um, but can he get it done against an offensive and team? Can he do enough to maybe get a nice win for his Cardinals team? I don't think it's crazy. That game's pretty important. Go Cardinals, uh, commanders, dolphins. We obviously know the importance of that game. Um, it's not a hundred percent necessary, but it is one that will really then make the dolphins only two games up and it really start to make it interesting. If the bills are able to take care of the chiefs, uh, that, that, that game, that this could be a nice in command in Washington. This could be a nice little surprise. Uh, and maybe they do something where they finally lose against a team on the road, uh, that they should beat, uh, Broncos at Texans. This one's an interesting one. Uh, right now, it looks like we're picking the Texans to to knock down the, the Broncos in this game. Um, you know, to see one of those teams that are going to come out and be able to be seven and five. But I, you know, I guess we're looking at the the Texans being more important uh, based on their conference record and having having the head to head tiebreaker on the Bills. Bra- uh, Browns Rams Rams are playing super well right now, getting healthy <laughs> at the right time with Stafford and, and Kyron Williams. Um, obviously, the the Browns are a mess. They're missing some injuries now. I don't know that they are a real threat anymore but they have enough wins to where they could sneak into a loss or into a wild card spot. Let's root for the the Rams in that game. Pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, You know, you never know if the Bengals can make it back. Uh, Someone's got to win the AFC South anyways. I guess it doesn't overly matter, but you know, pick the, pick the, uh, the Jags and then Packers chiefs. I don't know that you want to play the Mahomes off of a loss. He doesn't lose very much. Um, This is, you know, pick the Packers. I don't think it matters very much. Because uh, someone's winning that uh, AFC West, but it could get interesting if they lose to the Packers and the Bills. Um, then they're in play there against the uh, the uh, Broncos, who they've already lost to. And the optimal standings for the Bills previous to the Kansas City game is a situation to where now they're only two back of Miami, uh, two back of the Chiefs. So 
uh, very, very easily. They could only be one back of the chiefs with a win. Uh, if you, if you see a green Bay able to pull something off like that, and then you have a plethora, a couple six and six teams, um, and then three wildcard teams, only one game better than you. Uh, one of them being a, a, a sinking Brown team with Cooper and miles Garrett and all their quarterbacks and running backs hurt, um, as well. And a pretty bad Steelers team and the Texans sitting in there in the five seed, um, maybe having to go to Miami to take them on in the playoffs in the first round, really interesting offensive battle if we see something like that, but this would be the optimal and really give the bills hope at least for another week going into that game. Kevin, anything jump out to you that you, that you want to, that you see that the bills need. Yeah. The Denver Houston game is interesting because both teams are ahead of the bills in the standings right now. Now, you know, the bills have played an extra game than those two teams, but I was thinking about that earlier today. I was like, man, who, who do we want to win? And before, you showed us on here, I came to the conclusion that we would probably want the Texans because the Broncos have the tiebreaker over the Bills. So I guess we want the Texans for this week, but I mean, we don't want CJ Stroud getting hot because he is already one of the top quarterbacks in the league. I'm not going to say he's top 10, top 15. Uh, you know, I'm not going to put a number on it, but he has played very, very well this season. So yeah, I mean, I guess for this week we root for Houston then because they would be what seven and five. Denver would be six and six along with Buffalo. And then you just have to hope and pray that Houston loses after. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that is that the correct way to go? And then the Colts are still ahead of us right now, too, with that six and five record. Yeah, Houston plays Broncos, Jets, Titans, Browns, uh, Titans, Colts. So it's going to be tough to see enough losses in there anyways. So you may be rooting for them to, to, to win their games against the Browns and against the Texans or excuse me, and against the Broncos to win, um, to earn a wild card spot anyways. Uh, but then you look at the Broncos, they play the Texans, the chargers, the lions, um, Patriots, chargers, Raiders. Um, so like there's a lot of wins to be had in those specific games. Um, Jonathan Taylor's out for Indy. I'm not sure what kind of serious run that they can make here at this stage, Um, but they play the Titans, Bengals, Steelers, Falcons, Raiders, Texans. Um, So they got to find enough wins out of that mishmash. And the Browns play the Rams, the Jags, the Browns, the Texans, the Jets and Bengals. Yeah, the Browns do. You said the Browns play the Browns. Oh, they play the Rams, the Jags, the Bears, the Texans, the Jets, the Bengals. Okay. So, I mean, I I could see Cleveland falling off. But, I mean, like you said, a lot of these teams are going to be playing each other, which is the unfortunate part of this, where someone's going to have to come out with a win. So, it kind of hurts my brain to try to figure out all these scenarios right now. Too early. Yeah, too early. Yeah. So, I'm thinking my only... A uh, piece of advice right now would be just win out for the Bills, because yes. I think if you go eleven and six, I think I don't want to say it'll guarantee you a playoff spot, but your chances are going to be very very high, whether it's for the division or for the wild card, because I don't see all of those yep. teams being able to win at least five or six games. A Cardinals a Cardinals win over the Steelers is huge because they have the Patriots at home then, but then they play three out of four on the road: Colts, Bengals, Seahawks, Ravens. Um, so they have the hardest stretch by far, um, and, a, and, and a team I don't think is overly great. A Cardinals upset win would go a long way for the Bills. So I think that's the one I'm looking at. 
Um, if that, if you're able to see something like that, I don't think the Houston, the Houston Denver game, you know, you should really rack your brain too hard to because of what you said, but I, I think it's pretty easy that if the Cardinals can get it done, that puts a lot of hope back into Buffalo, especially uh, if they're able to beat the chiefs. And then it's going to be more clear what the bills will need on a four week basis, rather than looking really at six weeks right now on a four week basis, we can kind of break it down a little bit more post Kansas city game, but it's been 90 minutes of action that we've had on the going to Buffalo uh, show. Super excited that they have a chance to save their season, go on a run that we, we, we think could happen and maybe do it all by kind of exercising their demons against the chiefs and the regular season again in Arrowhead. So can the bills do enough? I think they might be able to against an offense that is not very Kansas city. Like I'm not overly scared at their defense, even though they're playing well. I'm looking pretty excited for it, Kevin. So give us no game predictions today. Give us kind of your final thoughts here as we go finish the bye week. My final thought is going to be a question because I want to make sure that we get this in. Okay. If the Bills lose to Dallas but win the final four games, they go four and f- – sorry. They go four and one. They win four out of their last five with the last loss coming to Dallas. Do you yeah. think that they can still get in with the 10-7 and seven record? Um. So you're saying they lose to the, uh, in that specific scenario you brought up, they are 70% likely to make the playoffs in that scenario. That is really? the only scenario that has hope. Any other scenario than what you just named um, is not very likely because of the, the AFC record. So say they lose to the Chiefs and then they win out um, the last four, let's just say that 70% goes down to 48%. So under 50%, even with the, even with the 10 and eight record, and it gets even worse if you win the first four and then lose to the Dolphins. That that drops to 30, 39%. So it depends on which which teams that um, you're going to be playing, uh, who you lose to. But, I mean, it's absolutely mandatory you win the AFC games. Uh, a, a Cowboys game doesn't end your season, um, per se. And that was kind of my prediction of the Eagles and a Chiefs win, and maybe they dropped it to a team that runs the ball a ton. Um, but it does not end your season with a Cowboys loss. It uh, puts you in grave danger um, to lose to the Chiefs. You do need to then win four straight and hope because now you're under 50%. So that's the way to look at it. So Chiefs is a pretty important game. Even winning out, it's only uh, it's it's less than 50% at, t- at 10 and 8 uh, in, in most scenarios, unless the one you brought up. That one is 70%. All other 10 and 8 scenarios are 40% and less. I mean, 10 and 7, right? Yeah, 10 and 7, yeah. Yeah, so the easiest scenario for the Bills is to win out. The second easiest or second best scenario is they win four out of their last five with the only loss coming to the NFC opponent in Dallas. Correct? Yes. So that's what we have to hope for. If we can't win out, the only game that we can afford to lose is to the one against the Cowboys. And that would just be a heartbreaker in itself because it's essentially a primetime game at home, getting ready for Christmas. Whenever Dallas comes to town, it's huge. Mm. So you don't want that to be a letdown. So, I mean, the way I see it, I guess my final takeaway here, my final thoughts, the next two games are obviously huge because I think that if you can get past the Chiefs and the Cowboys – you will be able to clear that mental hurdle and say, okay, the two hardest games are out of the way. We can definitely beat the Chargers. 
we can definitely beat the Patriots, and we know that we can beat the Dolphins because Josh Allen usually performs his best against the Dolphins. That's not to say that any 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 of these games are going to be easy because look what happened in New England or in New York for that matter or against Denver. You know, none of these games are going to be a cakewalk anymore considering what we know about the 2023 Buffalo Bills. But I think that if they can beat the Chiefs and then the Cowboys, the Super Bowl is back on. Yeah, and I'll give you one final more thing to think about. I think the Chargers game is way more important as uh, than the Cowboys game. So statistically 70% if you can lose, if you lose just to the Cowboys, but that drops to 45% if, if it's a chargers loss. So there, there's actually a 25% percentage difference between those two opponents. So it, it's, it's really strange because the final, the, the chargers, everyone knows the chiefs and the dolphins games are big, but the chargers games, actually the next biggest on the, and, and it actually even the Patriots is bigger than the Cowboys game. Now you want to win them all, uh, but in terms of statistically and what games you want to win, uh, even the same thing goes for the Patriots. Uh, same thing if you if you lose to the Patriots, but you win the other four, um, you're still under fifty percent. Whereas if you beat the Patriots and you lose to the Cowboys, um, it's you're at that seventy percent marker. Um, but what's the funny part here? Not that so funny. Two losses will end the season. It will bring you into one percent range. So two losses, you're out. There's no uh, discussions at the nine and eight number. So um, you can lose a game. We're talking about which game can you lose. Um, much better to be the Cowboys game. It pretty much does knock you out of the division too. Like there's not a lot of hope, uh, but you do have hope for the, so the wild. So if the bills lose any of them, that division is basically over. Um, if they lose two, the season's over. So that's the best way to look at a wild card with one loss season over with two division with zero. So that is the best way to kind of look at the bills remaining schedule. And we're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to the chiefs game next week. We're looking forward to guests. We're looking forward to having everybody and Hey, have confidence in how well this offense has played over two weeks against a really good team and a really good defense who hasn't let up that many points in many, many, many weeks. Uh, so there is still a ton to, to be happy about with especially the offense right now. And I do think that now, aside from playing the best team in the NFC, the bills uh, defense will get it done in, in situations to where, um, I, I still have some hope that they, when they're not going against the league's best, at least in some of these scenarios, they can do enough to get the Bills into a playoff scenario. So we'll have a lot to go over next week off of the bye. Um, a lot to, lot to be excited for. But for now, Kevin, that'll be a wrap for us on the Going Deep Buffalo show presented by the Summit Center, presented by Sons of Erie, www.sonsoferie.com. Give us a final bye week thought, Kevin, as we as we sign off. I'm going to try to enjoy it as much as I can because I am starting to stress already. And this game is about two weeks away. So that's the uh, bittersweet part of this where it's like, okay, on one side, I don't mind having a week off, but on the other side, it's like, okay, now we have to wait, you know, two weeks to find out what our season is going to come down to. So December 10th is going to be huge once it finally gets here. And there you have it. From the Going Deep Buffalo Show, Kevin and Kevin, we'll be right back at you this time next week with still the same great content. We'll see you guys all then.